Pastor Xavier Reese offers this simple truth about the power of God's Word, the Bible. Moses proclaims the benefit of obedience. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life, and by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over Jordan to possess. Notice, the word is your life, and your life must reflect the word. And if it does not, then you're a hypocrite. And that goes for me too. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Losing weight takes discipline. Mastering a musical instrument takes discipline. And living a life that honors the Lord also takes discipline. Today, in his final message from the book of Deuteronomy, Pastor Xavier reminds us of the blessings that accompany the lives of those who stay disciplined and remain faithful to the Word of God. Deuteronomy 32, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 47. I've just entitled the message simply what it is, the Song of Moses. Here we have a song that's really of sorrow because it declares the rebellion and their apostasy as they enter the land. Now, it begins with the opening statement of the prophet, verses 1 through 6. It's a sad song. It's a tragic song. Notice first he calls heaven and earth to bear witness to the words to be spoken, verse 1 and 2. In verse 3, God allows men to be his mouthpiece and proclaim his name. Can you imagine the privilege that we get to be God's representative? We represent the King of kings and Lord of lords. He proclaims his name. Jehovah means Jehovah is salvation. And Moses commands their acknowledgement of God's greatness. Notice in verse 4, Moses attests to God's nature. He is the rock, stable, dependable. This word is used of God throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament as well as the New. He never failed them. He says, I gave you shoes. They didn't wear out your clothes. I fed you. You guys didn't lack anything. And all the promise I gave to you, all has come to pass. The rock. Notice thirdly, verses 5 and 6. He declares the wickedness of God's people. Verse 5, they have corrupted their relationship to God. Verse 6, they are foolish and unwise to behave in such a way before God. Since he was responsible for all they were. You see this opening statement here. Calls the heavenly court in order. Declares the greatness of God and declares the wickedness of man. The stage is set for the trial. This is the opening statement of the prophet. He moves on to give us the evidence presented by the prophet. Verse 7 through 18. First, God's goodness and faithfulness in the past was to be remembered. Oh, remember what God has done for you, his faithfulness in the past. Because there'll be difficult times ahead. You've got to remember God's faithfulness in the past. Verse 7, he had the fathers and the elders, which they could resort to as his witnesses. He chose them of all the people of the earth as his inheritance. Verse 8 and 9 says, Amos the prophet was prophesying to the wicked Israel, and he said this, You only have I known in all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you. To much is given, much is required. Mm. Notice secondly, in verses 15 through 18, Israel's treachery and unfaithfulness in the future was to be pondered. In verse 15, they became rebellious and disrespectful as they had an abundance of providence. In verse 15, but Jeshru grew fat and kicked. 
you grew fat and you grew thick. You forsook God. The word Jeshurun means upright or righteous one. In irony of her fallen state, she was to be righteous even as her father, as her God, and she was not. They forgot God, the rock who fathered them, verse 18 says. That's a tragic. You know why I label this Israel's treachery and unfaithfulness? Because treachery is always the worst when it's from someone who's closest to you, right? That's what happened to our nation with Benedict Arnold. Do you realize that Benedict Arnold, one of the greatest generals, commanding generals, but nothing's ever heard of him except for his treachery? Treachery is when someone takes you in and, and allows you to become so close to them and they just let you think that they're all for you and all of a sudden they betray you. That's treachery. This is what's going on here. This is the evidence presented by the prophet. The evidence is, is incriminating. The court of heaven will not proclaim innocence on the guilty. Now, as we look to our judicial system, it's a joke, is it not? In the years and even now that's going on some court cases, you know, the evidence is so overwhelming, so overwhelming to the guilt. And yet all of us know that most likely the person will walk. Let me tell you, speedy, just when we're before God, he says, guilty, depart from me. Ooh. There won't be no Johnny Cochran there. <laughs> Just you and God. And there will be no mistakes. Thirdly, we have the sentence proclaimed by the prophet. Verse 19 through 25. Notice first verse 19 to 20. God spurned them and hid his face from them because they provoked him. Verse 19, they were his sons and daughters. Verse 20, they had become a perverse nation, children of no faith. You want to become perverse? Be a man and a woman of no faith. What does that mean? That means you don't trust God, you don't believe his word. You will become perverse, guaranteed. Notice secondly in verse 21, they provoke God to jealousy, so they would be provoked by God to jealousy also. By a people without God or a people who did not have God as their God. By a foolish nation. What does he mean by this? Well, Paul the Apostle quotes this in Romans 10, 19 as a fulfillment of the Gentiles who are called out in the church. God says, prophetically, I'm going to call a nation, a Gentile nation, to be my people, my bride, my church. And in that, hopefully the Jews look at it and they get so provoked to jealousy that they say, well, no, we want him too. And they return to me. God does all kinds of weird things, does he not? And the term jealousy relates to a marriage covenant. Israel is the wife of Jehovah. The church is the virgin bride to be wed to Jehovah. You see? There's a difference. Notice thirdly in verse 22 through 25, God's anger would be poured out on them. Verse 22, it is a fearful anger reaching what? The lowest parts of Sheol. In other words, you can't get away from it. Now, there are a lot of people, eh, you know, you talk to and I talk to, and they say, well, you know, I, God, God, anger, judgment, not, no such thing. Oh, there is such thing. No one can escape the judgment of God. You will stand either before the bema seat of Christ to be rewarded or the white throat judgment to be totally separated from God. You will stand in one or the other. It is manifested in different ways. Verse 23 to 25. 
Verse 23, disaster in their lives. Do you see that in people's lives today that don't walk with God? People that walk away from God? Oh, what a carnage. I've seen people walk with God and I've seen them walk away from God and I've seen their lives fall apart, their marriages, their children, everything else, their health. Verse 24, hunger, pestilence, destruction, and animals would attack them. We see some of this in the Kings and the Chronicles. Well, God did that then. Verse 25, the sword from outside, the terror from within. Ooh, no relief. As you're out, people are chasing you with the sword. Then when you get in the house, you're safe, you're afraid they're going to come in. Now, we experience this today. Today, we have all kinds of stalkers, all kinds of weird people. They kill you. They do all kinds of stuff. And people that are stalked and threatened, and, and though they're free to go in and out, they're, they're afraid in their home. They're always afraid. They're the prisoners. This is the idea here. No peace. Notice, fourthly, we have the vanity of the heathen in Israel revealed by the prophet. Verses 25 through 33. First, verse 26 through 27, it says, If God would have destroyed them altogether, the heathen would have taken credit. Verse 26, God knows the thoughts of all men. I would have said, I will dash them in pieces. I will make memory of them to cease from among men. But then in verse 27, God knows the pride of all men. Listen, had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is high, and it is not the Lord who done this thing. In other words, God wipes out Israel altogether, then the heathen will say, wow, God didn't do that, we did it. <laughs> Interesting. Notice secondly, in verse 28 through 30, if God gave the Israelis victory, they would also credit themselves. Verse 28, they are void of counsel and lack understanding. Verse 29, they lack discretion as to future consequences. Mark that well. That they would consider their latter end. Oh, that they would be wise. He cried that in chapter 5, verse 29. They had a heart to know me. I wish they had it. You know where our problem is? Right here. We are not, we're void of counsel and we are, have no understanding we're not wise. And what happens? We do not consider the latter end. People, listen to me. Young people, consider your latter end. I know a man who, who in the world, you know, during the 60s took drugs and even used intravenous injections and that. And now 20-some years down the road, he's got hepatitis C. Now he's forgiven. He's born again. He's even a pastor. And he'll be in heaven. But he never considered the latter end. You have no idea how your decisions today will mess up your future. Young people, older people, all of us. We do not consider the latter end. Are you considering leaving your wife or your husband? Got some new sweet thing that's wiggled by you? You better consider the latter end because as time goes on, you get to be 50, 60, and you're all alone, and your children don't want anything to do with you. And family get-togethers is like civil war. Consider the latter end. Don't be treacherous to the wife or to the husband of your youth. You made a commitment. You look to God and you find the grace or you will pay the price and many with you. Hmm. Notice thirdly, verse 31 through 33. If they only knew the death that all other gods bring. Verse 31, they are not like the rock 
God Jehovah. Verse 32 and 33, they are attractive but deadly, corrupt as Sodom and Gomorrah, and deadly as poison and venomous as a cobra. Oh, the world is so glittery, so attractive, isn't it? Boy, it sucks you in, and then what does it do? It kills you. Oh, sin is attractive. The Bible says that sin's fun for a season, a short period, but then there's the consequences, right? And the world pulls you. Ah, you'll get away with it. Ah, you know how far to go. Ah, you're cool. You, you're, not, you're the exception. No, really? No, there's no exceptions. This is the vanity of the heathen and of Israel revealed by the prophet. I think we can all identify, can't we? What a caution. He moves on to give us a judgment and mercy of God that he promises through the prophet. This is the fifth, verse 34 through 43. Notice first, 34 and 35. God declares that he is sovereign as to his judgment. It is a mystery sealed up in his treasure. Is it not laid up in store with me, sealed up among my treasures? We don't understand the judgment of God. Sometimes we say, Lord, get him right now. But God knows that he's going to repent. So he's merciful. He's gracious. He's patient. His thoughts and his ways are not like ours. We don't know him. Verse 35, it will be sudden and unexpected. Listen to this. Vengeance is mine and, and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. For the days of the calamity is at hand, and the things come hasten upon them. They don't even know it. Jonathan Edwards preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he describes them as men walking on icy, slippery poles that are over hell. And in a moment, in a second, they slip and they're lost forever. Do you realize when he preached that sermon, he was nearsighted. He preached it with a manuscript like this. He didn't see the congregation. And without his knowing it, people began to crawl out of the pews and repent and cry out. And it was an incredible sermon. As he gave a picture of men, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Oh, men don't know. They make fun. They make jokes. God says, I will laugh at them. I will have them in derision. He says, kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. Kissing an idol is an act of devotion. He says, you want to be devoted, you be devoted to me. Lest I be angry with you. Mm. Notice, secondly, in verse 36 through 38, God will manifest mercy in judgment. Man, he's good. Verse 36, he will allow them to reach the end of themselves. Isn't that just like God? He allows us to reach the end of our, oh, no, no, I don't need you. And we make a mess, and all of a sudden, we're like a chicken with our head cut off, and we're running around, splattering blood all over the place. Finally, we just, boom, fall, and we're looking straight up, and God says, now, can I help you? <laughs> now, can I do it for you? He weighs till we're pooped out. Isn't that what a fisherman does with a fish? Tire them out? He will uh, ask them where their gods are. Where are your gods? Verse 37. He will tell them to have their gods deliver them. Verse 38. But the bottom line is he will be merciful to them. James 2.3 says, For he shall have judgment without mercy that has shown no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. Do you rejoice against judgment? Do you, do you love to be merciful? If you're not, you won't receive mercy. 
God is always merciful. Mercy is less than we deserve. Mercy is the stepping tone to grace. Grace is what I don't deserve at all. So mercy is that stepping stone that leads me to grace. Less than I deserve. Notice thirdly, verse 39 through 42. God takes an oath of himself. Verse 39 is important. Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. This is Isaiah's theme from chapter 40 to the end. Isaiah says, listen, I've cruised up and down the earth, God speaking. I've never bumped into any other God. But just in case you bump into him, tell him to tell me of things before they happen. So when they happen, then I can declare him God. No one has ever taken God up on it. He and he alone is God. Listen to this. I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal. Ooh. God takes full responsibility. Now, when God kills, he's just. When God wounds, he's absolutely righteous. He takes full responsibility. Nor is there any who can deliver out of my hand. Ooh, what an awesome statement. No one can deliver out of his hands. That's great on the positive side. If I belong to him and I'm in his hands... Man, what safety? What safety to abide in Christ? Verse 40, he swears by himself since there is no greater power or authority. Hebrews 6, 16 through 17 says that again. Now, it's interesting, our court system today, they don't swear on the Bible anymore. Have you noticed that? So what do they swear truth by? By every man's standard. And so we are generation after generation, race and situational ethics, value clarification, Humanism, existentialism. So every man defines truth differently. Verse 41 and 42, he cannot be stopped once he decides to judge his enemies. For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword, I like that, and my hand takes hold of judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain, with the captives from the heads and the leaders of the enemy. Oh, his hand, his sword. He executes it. Once he has proclaimed it, nothing and no one can stop him. Look at fourthly, verse 43. God will punish the enemies of God's people. The Gentiles are to rejoice with the people of Israel as he avenges his servants. Verse 43. Paul quotes this in Romans 15, 10. So they're to rejoice that God will avenge his servants, but also rejoice that God will uh, affect the land and the people of Israel also. He will atone for it. So here you have the church and Israel joined together in the Old Testament. Now, if we didn't have the New Testament commentary, we would never be able to pick this up in the Old Testament. They're run together as many prophecies, not making a distinction between the two. And so the New Testament reveals the Old and the Old Testament has a new concealed in it. The New Testament is a commentary on the Old. So this is the judgment and mercy of God promised by the prophet. Sixth and last, verses 44 through 47, the closing exhortation to obey delivered by the prophet. Notice first in verse 44, Moses and Joshua are seen as one in the teaching of the song. Listen to them. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song 
in the hearing of the people. It is so important to the nation that they saw Moses and Joshua as one. Moses is still a leader. He is teaching the song, and Joshua is saying, Amen. If your children know that they can divide you, parents, you are dead. Whenever you confront your children, if you don't agree with each other, do not disagree before them. Discuss it, then come back in agreement in whichever the result is. But do not. If your children can find out they can divide you, you are dead ducks. Moses spoke the words. Joshua was the witness to the words. Notice, secondly, verse 45 and 46. Moses points to the key issue. Moses finished speaking all the words of all this to Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of the law. Notice, he commanded to set their hearts on all the words spoken. What's the heart issue? The heart. There's the bottom line. The heart. Does not the Sermon on the Mount tell us the heart, the heart, the heart? Jeremiah says that the heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. Jesus says it's, from the, it's not what goes in the mouth that follows a man, but what comes forth from the heart. Fornication, adultery, evilness, this, that, so on and so forth. And so I have to take the heart, the word of God, in obedience. He commands them regarding their children to pass down their faith so they be carefully observe all the words. Parents, are you discipling your children? Do you exact of them to come to church? Do you exact of them to read the word? Do you encourage them? Do they see you pray? Do you instruct them the scriptures? Are there scriptures put up on the wall? Are there things around the house that, that leads them to read the word? I hope so. We've already gone over chapter 6, verse 6 through 9 and 20 through 25, where he says that when you lie down, speak of it. When you rise up, when you're walking, all those things, always. Third and last, verse 47. Moses proclaims the benefit of obedience. Listen to it. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life, and by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Obedience to all the word is not futile, vain, or worthless as a thing to do. Oh, I should obey. Because God says. It's not vain. There's a benefit behind it. Notice the word is your life. If the word of God is not your life, young people, older people, then your own philosophy and words are your life. The word must be your life. And your life must reflect the word. And if it does not, then you're a hypocrite and you're a liar. And you shall never enter the kingdom of God. And that goes for me too. No exceptions. But notice the word would prolong their days in the land. What does God want to do to you and me? He wants to give me long life. Abundant life. A life to enjoy. That's why he says, obey. Obey is better than sacrifice, than to hearken to the fat of ram. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Oh, obedience. This is the closing exhortation to obey, delivered by the prophet. Now the song has been presented as a type of courtroom atmosphere, making it binding and legal as well as vindicating God as being just and righteous unto perfection. Yes, even in his judgment. Man, what an incredible book, Deuteronomy. And some people say the Old Testament is boring. 
God have mercy on us. May he just write the book of Deuteronomy in the tables of our hearts. Pastor Xavier Reese with wise words regarding the blessings that accompany those who are faithful to the Lord. And you can request a copy of today's study from the book of Deuteronomy titled The Song of Moses. It's available on CD for just $4. And this also contains much more of what Pastor Xavier shared on this topic that we just didn't have time for on the air today. The title to ask for once again is The Song of Moses. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Are we living in the last days? Learn more when you tune into the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, beginning an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. That's next time. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com